0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Conduit, and I just want to take a moment and say welcome here, welcome home. We're glad that you are here with us this morning, whether this is your first time with us or your billionth time with us. Um, We are glad that you're here. We want to be at Conduit, a place where people can come and know Jesus and begin to walk with Jesus, whether they've been walking with Jesus for a long time, or this is your first time here and you've never been to church before. We want to be a place where you can come and know that it is okay where you find yourself today, and we want to walk alongside of you in that journey. Um, If you ever want to take a next step, if you want to maybe talk to a pastor, if you want to uh, get involved with a small group, if you want to have some questions or you want to get baptized, you always have the availability to take a next step. Right? And you can do that. We have these cards in the front of the pews in front of you. And if you fill out those cards and you drop one of those in that silver bucket in the back, we'll get back to you. Um, and that's one way that we can always do that. And that's for you when you are good and ready to do that. That's not something that we're here pressuring you to do now. We're just saying when you are ready to, that option is there for you. Um, we have been doing a sermon series on the Minor Prophets. Everybody I've told that like oh the church I'm at like serve at we're we're doing a sermon series on the minor prophets. Almost everybody goes like oh I've never heard a sermon series on the minor prophets before. Oh, like like it, it's it's like it's a section of scripture that just isn't talked about very often, and it's it's it, you don't see sermon series about it. You don't see a lot of books written, being written about it, um, and it's and it's kind of a Dense, kind of hard to navigate section of scripture as well. Um, but I think it's a particularly rich portion of scripture. Um, we've been saying, right, like that they're called minor prophets not because they are less important than the major prophets. Um, they're just named that because they're just shorter. Um, they just tend to be, tend to have written shorter. So rather than like 40 some chapters, four chapters. And I don't know about you, but I like short books. Um, (laughs) I don't don't have that big of an attention span. Um, So um, we've been going through these minor prophets. And each minor prophet has kind of like similar features. Things that we expect to see in each of these books. And, And those things being we expect there to be one a prophet who has a message given from God to God's people. And then most of the book is comprised of that message, right? So it usually starts off announcing there's the prophet, son of someone, and he was given the message from the Lord to so-and-so. And then, he, and then there's this big, long, poetic passage where it is going through what God was communicating to his people at that particular time. And that's what we kind of expect. And, and a lot of the themes of these are pretty similar. They're, they're themes of... You are not following the Lord. Stop doing what you're doing. Go do this thing. This is following the Lord. If you do that, God will bless you. If you don't do that, bad things will happen. That's the summary of almost every minor prophet book. Um, And today, we're going to talk about the book of Jonah, and it doesn't follow any of those things. It's entirely different um, because... Uh, the book of Jonah, like, instead of, like, the message that God gives Jonah uh, is about one verse in the entire book, right? So rather than comprising multiple chapters of poetic prose and, ex- you know, explaining in detail the very detailed word that God gave his people, right, it can be summarized in, in one, one verse, um, and it's also, it's a message that wasn't given to the Israelite people. It was a message given to the Assyrians. Um, and so it's kind of a strange book. It's kind of like, it's, okay, what are we supposed to do with this? this is a minor prophet? It starts out like a minor prophet, but then it just takes a wild left turn. So understanding this book is a little bit interesting. Um, so... But, like, I think first before we kind of dig into how do we understand the book of Jonah, first we have to, um, like, talk about, like, the big thing in the room, like, namely the big fish, um, right? Because, like, if, if I were to kind of t- ask you to write the subtitle for the book of Jonah, right? Jonah and the Whale right? Like, that's what we would put as the subtitle of this book, because we've seen it in children's media, we've, that's what we're familiar with the story, is it, oh, it's about the guy who gets swallowed by the whale and vomited up, right? That's the whole point of the story, and it's not, actually. Um, it's like the fish, the whale, whatever you want to call it, um, is only a small piece of the story, and sometimes fixating on it um, is kind of, kind of it kind of misleads us or misdirects us and we might miss the point. If I were to try and write a better or more accurate subtitle, like if you've ever, like you know, you always pick up a book and you read and you're like, oh, like the subtitle, this, you know, five things to make me um, thinner, something like that. And then you like read the thing and it has absolutely no diet advice, no health advice or something like that. You'd be rather disappointed. So I feel like, Jonah and the whale is a rather misleading subtitle because it's really not, doesn't talk much about the whale. I think the better subtitle for the book of Jonah would be Jonah and God's mercy or Jonah, the really bad prophet. Um, And you'll see why I, why I say that here in a few minutes. Um, And one of the things is, is that a lot of times the prophets are held up as kind of the example They're the people who are following the Lord, they're faithful to God, and they're communicating God's word in the midst of a season or a time of unfaithfulness, of where the people of the Lord are not following the Lord. But this is actually an example. Jonah is not the hero of this story. Um, Jonah is not the person you are supposed to be like. You're actually supposed to just do most of the opposite of what Jonah does in this story. So let's dig into that. Let's find out. Um, But first, before we do that, we have to find the book of Jonah, which is in the Old Testament. Sword drill, right? If you were here last week, you know what that is. Um, It's in the back of the Old Testament. It is right after the book of Obadiah. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) So if you like open up, so one way you can always do it, if you open up to the middle of your Bible, you typically open up near Psalms, and then if you flip, flip to the left, yeah, uh, and you keep going to the right in your book, you will eventually find it. If you run into Zephaniah or Habakkuk or Micah, you've gone too far. Um, Those are my best tips for you. (laughs) Okay, so let's dig into this. We're going to walk through the story of Jonah to hopefully see it in maybe a new light in a way that we maybe haven't seen it before since what's in most of our heads is a big fish um, and maybe VeggieTales, if you saw that movie, right? Um, and so, like, let's, let's, like, try and read this text and see what does it actually have to say from, um, from the scripture and maybe not from maybe ideas or images that we have in our head already. And so the verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Jonah reads, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, so right there in those first two verses, it's exactly like every other prophetic book. Right? It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah is the son of Amittai. This is the word of the Lord. This is who you need to say it to. Go and say it. Right? And then we even learn a little bit about Jonah, right? Um, His name, Jonah, means dove and son of Amittai. His father's name means faithfulness. So dove of faithfulness. Well, that sounds like a really nice like prophet name, you know, like son of faithfulness. That's a good name. It's just too bad he's not very faithful because in verse 3 he says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. This is where the story takes that radical left turn. Right? We're expecting, okay, the word of the Lord was given to Jonah. Jonah is going to go say the word of the Lord. But he doesn't. He decides to go to Tarshish. Right, He goes down to Jop- Joppa, and he found the ship at, for the port. After paying for the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee for the Lord. Tarshish. If I have to say that too many times in the sermon, I might mess it up. It's kind of like Worcestershire sauce, right? <laughs> Tarshish. Um, <laughs> kind of have to have like a twang Tarshish. Um, anyways, we'll see if I, hopefully I'll have to say it too many more times. Um, but okay, so there's all these places named, right? So go to Nineveh, but he's like, no, I'm going to go down to Joppa and I'm going to sail to Tarshish. So up here on the map, we've got kind of a, a quick kind of, you know, demonstration of this. So Joppa is just a little bit south of Israel, He went there to that port city. You can see where he's supposed to go, Nineveh, which is to the northeast, right? And then you can see where he's going, which is Tarshish, uh, which is west. Um, and, and the thing is, is like Tarshish would be like the, it would be like the closest thing I could kind of equivocate it to would be us going down to the tip of South America Because it's like to go any farther would be to go into the wilderness of Antarctica, right? Like this is the end of the world as far as they know it, because they don't have any conception of anything being beyond the Atlantic, right? So this is about as the ends of the earth as he could potentially ever go, right? That's where he's going. There's no sort of like pretending he was going to Nineveh right? Like, it's not like the kid who's, like, doesn't want to go to the doctor's appointment and is, like, taking a long time to put his shoes on, right? Like, he's not just, like, kind of stalling. It's like the kid jumped out the window and is running the opposite direction, right? Um, it's like there's no, you know, you ever, like, in a crowd and, you're, and you see somebody and they're, like, and you, you see them and they're, like, waving at you and you're, like, oh my gosh, they noticed me and, and they're, they're happy to see me and you begin to wave back, and then you realize that they're waving at somebody behind you. And then, like, you kind of have to do the, like, run your hand through your hair. It, it doesn't work as well for me. Uh, but, but like, there's no, like, there's no faking. There's no fake out that Jonah can do, right? Jonah's not going to be able to go, like, oh, psych. I mean, I was just stopping off here because it's totally on the way to Nineveh. Like, no, he's just like, I'm going in the complete opposite direction. I'm not even going to pretend to be thinking about going to Nineveh. I'm running in the opposite direction. And so this story has radically changed. All of a sudden, it's a chase story, right? Jonah is running away from God. And the question on our mind is, all right, how far is he going to get, right? What's going to happen now? And so as we read through this next section, I would encourage you to notice the word down. The amount of times that the word down is mentioned in this section of Scripture. Like it's a reoccurring theme in this passage. So I'll start again from verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard the ship and sailed from Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried to his own God, and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But God had gone, but Jonah had gone below deck, He had gone down. Um, where he laid down and he fell into a deep sleep. right? And then the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Right? So Jonah gets onto this boat to go in the wrong direction because he's fleeing from God. He falls asleep on this boat, in the bottom of the boat, in the middle of a storm. Jonah is, like, covering his eyes, plugging his ears, and going, ah, la, 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 la. Right? Like, he doesn't want to hear. He doesn't want to notice what's going on. He's trying to hide. He's trying to hide himself from the Lord. He's fleeing. And he's, notice the irony here, right? He's the prophet. He's the one who's supposed to be following the Lord, And the the sailors are praying to their gods. Jonah hasn't prayed yet, right? And and it doesn't say that Jonah gets up immediately and says, oh, you're right, captain, I should pray. And he doesn't, right? Jonah is yet to pray to the Lord. And then what happens next, right? So um, in verse 7, the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They're throwing dice and they're trying to discern through dice who's the one that they need to talk to. This is a common thing that was often done in Bible times. Um, Last, find out who is responsible for this calamity, and then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us, and what kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Right. So they ask all these questions. And then Jonah gives this kind of rote answer, kind of out of just kind of a stock answer, maybe an answer he was used to giving, kind of his introduction, the thing that would have been on his business card. He said, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, Lord of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And that terrifies the sailors. They're terrified, and they ask him, what on earth have you done? That's because they knew that he was running from the Lord, because they, he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do? Right? What do we do to make the calm, the sea calm down? And what do we do to not die? We've already tossed all of our cargo. So that means that we're not going to make any money on this sailing trip. Um, what do we do to not die? We're just trying to survive. And then in 12, Jonah comes up with this option. He says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I find it hilarious that Jonah doesn't explore any other options. Right? Like, at this point, Jonah hasn't prayed yet. Jonah hasn't, like, said, Lord, spare these guys. Like, it's my fault, not theirs. Like, he hasn't said anything to the Lord. He's just like, you know what, like really the only solution here is for you to just throw me out to the ocean. Like that's the only solution here. Like it's not that I could pray, promise to go to Nineveh, and then we could try and turn the boat around. Like he he hasn't even considered that. Like because he knows, right, that the only thing that would really stop this is if he were to stop fleeing from the Lord and go to Nineveh. And so he hasn't actually even committed to stop fleeing yet. He's just like, well, I'm going to keep fleeing from the Lord, so really the only thing you can do is just throw me overboard. I would rather die in the ocean than go to Nineveh, is kind of his thought process. So... After they do that, the men, instead, they do their best to throw him back the land because they're like, well, he's a prophet. We don't want to kill a prophet because then we still might just die, right? Um, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, not their gods that they were crying out to before, but to the Lord. And they said, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing him, an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is an interesting story because it's one of the few stories where sailors are actually role models. Um, right? Like the sailors in this story are the ones who seem to submit to the Lord, they actually seem to actually fear the Lord. Right? When Jonah introduces himself, says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm of the people who fear the Lord, of who worship the Lord. But he hasn't done anything that indicates that he fears the Lord. He hasn't done that anything that indicates that he worships the Lord. But the sailors, the sailors at the end of all this, get back to dry land, commit themselves to the Lord, and go to the temple and worship and make sacrifices. Like the sailors have had an encounter with the true God and have converted, but Jonah the prophet hasn't done anything remotely like that. And so he finds himself tossed into this ocean, and then this is the part that we've all been waiting for right now. In verse, um, it says Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, right? So Jonah is swallowed by a fish, right? He's tossed into the waves, right? And so um, some translations, like, have the word down a little bit more often than the NIV does. But there has been this progression, right, of him going down to Joppa, down into the boat, down to the bottom of the boat. And now he's down into the ocean, and he's in the body, belly of the whale, and he's down in the depths of the ocean, right? He's gone to the lowest depths that he possibly can. It doesn't get deeper than this. It doesn't get farther away from God, and he's come to the closest point of death that he possibly can, right? And he kind of says as much in chapter 2, right? When he, in chapter 2, we get this poetic prayer where Jonah is praying to the Lord as he finds himself in the belly of the whale, Jonah prayed to the Lord in his distress. In verse 2, it says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirled about me. All of your waves and your breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. That's always my favorite because it looks like, like, what did he have, like a bandana of seaweed? Um, Like, I'm sure he was not comfortable, but he was also apparently covered in seaweed. Um, Into the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When... My life was ebbing away. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So Jonah has this moment where he's kind of facing death. He's gone as deep and as far down as he possibly can go, and he finally cries out to the Lord. He finally says, Lord, save me. And then he kind of, at the end of this, after crying out here, he kind of makes, I won't say that he really repents, Because he doesn't, like, say that he did anything wrong. He just says, Lord, I I will do, I will make sacrifice. I will follow you, right? Um, In verse 8, he says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts with grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited him onto dry land. Right? So, there's your verse where vomit exists in the Bible, in case you were wondering. Um, and so Jonah gets to this place where he's sad, where he's scared, he's terrified. And then he commits to the Lord. He's like, all right, I will worship you. Salvation comes from you. I will do what I have said I will do. But he doesn't quite repent. He doesn't quite like say like, Lord, I was wrong. Lord, I was fleeing from you. Lord, I need to change my heart. Like, he just kind of is like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And then he's vomited up onto dry land. And then he goes, and this is the part where the story, this is like the normal part of a, of a prophetic book. Up until now, nothing has been normal in what we expect in a prophetic or a minor prophet book. So in chapter three, verse one says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. So he actually did what God told him to do. And he went to Nineveh. Now, if Nineveh was a very large city, it took three days to go through it. And Jonah began going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. There's the whole message, right? It was like part of a verse. Right, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Boop, that's it. He doesn't like give any instructions or anything like that. He's just like, God's going to destroy you guys in 40 days. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And then when jo- Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust, and in this, this proclamation he issued in Nineveh, he said, By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animal herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let my people and the animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God, and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Did you catch that? The cows are repenting. Right? Like, he, like he's having the cattle take part in the repentance. Like how completely is Nineveh responding to the message they got? They're responding as fully as they possibly can. He's like, it's not just the people who, aren't gonna, who are going to fast. It's the cows who are going to fast. We're not just going to dress in sackcloth, but the, the, the cows are going to dress in sackcloth, right? Like, everybody is repenting, right? And so it's this wholehearted turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, repent, like, we, we are, we're turning to you. Please have mercy on us. Please do not destroy us. Is that a little bit different from the prayer of repentance that we saw of Jonah just a chapter earlier, right? Like this is a full kind of returning or submitting to God. And then in verse ten it says, When God saw that they did what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And then in verse one of chapter four it says, But Jonah seemed very this to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Jonah just gets mad, starts throwing a tantrum like a kid, Um, and he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, God, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. All right, so first time, we actually get a glimpse as to why Jonah left. The book hasn't told us why Jonah went to Tarshish. It's kind of just been uh, maybe assumed or implied, but we have not actually seen why Jonah fled. Why has Jonah not wanted to go to Nineveh? Well, it's apparently it's because he wanted that entire city to die. Like, that's, that's what he wanted. He's like upset. God, I am upset that you did not wipe out an entire people, that the city did not catch on fire, that like they did not get swallowed up by the earth, that like an earthquake didn't happen. Like I am upset about that, that these people didn't die, and I'm so upset about it that I would wish you would kill me. That's, that's what Jonah is saying, right? He has zero compassion or desire to see the Assyrians experience compassion. And like, why is that? Well, like part of it is certainly that the Assyrians were not Israel, right? They were not, actually they were enemies, right? Assyria would eventually come and conquer and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, So they were not military friends. They were not cultural friends. They were not on good terms. And so Jonah didn't want to see this foreign nation not get destroyed by God. He was like, no, God, I only want you to show mercy on people who I want you to show mercy on. And he's got this anger and this resentment that is built up. And so Jonah, I mean, like, the funny thing is, is that, like, Jonah has done everything inside of his power to see these people die, right? He ran away so that is not to tell them the message because he was afraid that... God might change his mind. He, when he did give the message, he gave the shortest amount of message that he possibly could. Like, he didn't give instructions, he didn't give details, he didn't give an exhortation, he was just like, God's going to destroy you, and then he kind of stepped out. He was like, all right, I'm done, I did my thing. Right, like he was like not going to do anything to help them receive God's mercy. And then in this last bit of the book of Jonah, we see kind of a, a live-action parable as God tries to kind of break through into Jonah's heart. Um, and starting in verse 4, the Lord asks Jonah, it says, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be so angry? Like, is this actually just of you? Like, do you have any good reason to be this angry? Like, I don't think you have a good reason to be angry. Jonah had gone out, and he sat down at a place east of the city, and then he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant, so a tree of some sort, grew up and made it grow up over the fort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. He was very, he's like, this is a nice tree, nice shade. Like, I'm just going to sit here and just kind of watch. And like, maybe, maybe if I'm angry enough, God will finally destroy this city. Right? He's just kind of sitting there and is brooding. But he's kind of happy about the tree. All right. He's very happy about the plant. Uh, and then seven, at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, and which chewed up the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun emblazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wanted to die again. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah's a little bit dramatic. Um But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry about this plant? It is, he said, right? (laughs) And I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals, right? Cows that repented. Um, And so God's like making this, he's like, look, do you realize like how much you seem to hate people, but you care about this plant, right? Like Jonah has made this one particular thing so important, that because he doesn't have it anymore, he would rather die. He's like, life is not worth living because I do not have the shade, right? But, I would, but he has zero care about the lives of people, whether or not they know the Lord, right? Jonah hasn't really, despite Jonah, right? Like, it's not because Jonah did a good job at any point in this story that people have turned to the Lord. It is in spite of Jonah's terrible job that people have turned to the Lord, right? Jonah doesn't care about people, right? He's probably like an interesting fact, like Jonah shows up one other place um, in the Old Testament. He comes and he gives a prophecy to Jeroboam the second, which was a pretty awful king of Israel. He did all the bad things. Um, and he comes and he says, Jeroboam the second, like God is going to give you a success in battle and these lands and victory, and it's going to be great. Well, the funny thing is, is that in another book, another prophet comes up and then reverses and says, hey, that whole thing Jonah said, that's not going to come true because you're an awful king, right? So like the one other prophecy that we have recorded of Jonah is a prophecy, a positive prophecy given to a very bad king, and that prophecy is ultimately reversed. So Jonah, like, doesn't have a very particularly good track record. He's maybe even a little nationalistic, maybe a little racist, right? Right? And and he's like, only my people get the blessing of the Lord. And he has this anger and this, this resentment that is built up. And we are left at the end of the book with a giant question. And that question is, will Jonah change? Right? We don't get to see if Jonah... What does Jonah say next? Because God asks him that question He says, do you actually have a right to be angry over this plant? Shouldn't you be more angry or more upset, or more concerned about people following me than you are about this plant? And then the question is left unanswered for us. And the reason I think that that question is left unanswered for us is because the question is really being asked of us. See, the thing is, is it's easy to read and to listen to this story and dig at it and say, oh, look at Jonah. He's such a bad prophet. He is so not living what he talks about says he follows the Lord, but he obviously doesn't. Oh, he just is so, like, not being a good witness. He's not, you know, he's not living in an obedience. He, he, what is he being upset about, like, this plant, this insignificant thing that's really not the primary thing? But the thing is, is the more critical we are of Jonah, right, the bigger we need to ask the question of ourselves is, are we like Jonah? So that's the whole point of the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah isn't about recording the message of God for a particular people. The book of Jonah is written for the reader, right? It's saying you who are reading this book, who's maybe laughing at this really bad prophet, the question you need to ask yourself is how much of you, do you how much do you resemble Jonah. And I think there are a couple of ways in which this book, in which Jonah can act as a mirror for us. In which we look at it, and I think there are there's probably there's definitely more ways, but I think there's two sort of primary ways. And the first is that I think we look like Jonah because we close our eyes and we flee from God's obedience. Right? We we want to close our eyes, plug our ears and pretend that we don't know what we're supposed to do, right? Like, I have a theory, okay? The theory is is that most of us know what we ought to do most of the time, right? Like, sometimes there are situations, there's ambiguities, there's grays, there's things like, what's the right decision here? But I don't think that's the majority of the time. I think the majority of the time, if I were to sit down with most people, and I were to say, like, what do you need to do to grow closer to the Lord or to be obedient to the Lord right now? You could probably answer that question, right? I don't think it's because we don't know what we're supposed to do. I think we just don't want to admit that we know what we're supposed to do. We want to pretend that, you know, oh, you know, it's just really hard to to follow that thing that I feel God maybe has called me to do right? Maybe maybe I should go to a Tarshish. We have a tendency to be kind of uh, willfully blind, right? We're not actually blind. We can see. We're just squinting our eyes real tight. This makes me think of um, the greatest fantasy novel ever written, The Lord of the Rings, Um and the greatest fantasy movies ever made as well, um, right? But if you've ever read or watched The Lord of the Rings, there are like examples of this. And the, the biggest one that comes to my mind is the example of the steward of Gondor, right? If you're not familiar with The Lord of the Rings, it's pretty basic. There's a dark lord, dark army, bad guys. They're building an army. They're going to take over the land. But everybody's been kind of like ignoring it. As it's been happening, they've been covering their eyes. They've been not paying attention. They're like, oh, no, the Dark Lord's been defeated. There's not really evil there. It's not a big deal. Stop freaking out. Like, they're kind of just not paying attention. And there's the kingdom Gondor, which is right neighbors with the Dark Lord's land, Mordor. And they can, like, see the army getting bigger. And then they don't do anything about it. Right? Like, they're having conflicts with their with the dark army. They're like, oh, it's just skirmishes. Oh, it's not a big deal. Like, it's really not a big thing. And the steward, not the king, the steward of Gondor, who's in charge of the kingdom, because the king is not there, is just pretending it's not a problem. Right? He's just like, oh, it's fine. Our forces can take care of it. We don't need help. He refuses to call for help. Right? He actually goes to be so blind, he wants to plug his ears and cover his eyes, so much so that there's a point at which the city is under siege, is being attacked, the doors are being knocked down, the gates are being burned, and rather than attending to the army or calling out for help, he's trying to set himself and his son who is unconscious on fire, right? Right? Like he's, he is going away from the problem and the things that he ought to do. he's abdicating his responsibility, he's not being obedient, and he's going down into death and destruction willfully because he would rather not face the thing that he has to face. That sounds a lot like Jonah, right who, who doesn't want to do the thing that he knows he has to do and would rather go into the depths of Sheol, into the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a whale and face death than actually just do the thing that he's supposed to do. I think that the longer we put off doing the thing that we know we ought to be doing, the worse and the harder it gets. Right? Like if you spill a stain and you let the stain sit, it gets harder to get the stain out of whatever you've spilled it onto. Right? If you leave a bill unpaid, the, the, the consequences of not paying that bill get steeper. Right? If I don't have an important conversation with someone that I need to have, the harder it becomes to have that conversation. The longer I live with unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart, the more that bitterness is going to eat away at my soul. The longer I am disobedient in that thing that I feel like the God, that Lord has called me to do, the harder it becomes to do the thing because I begin to feel more guilt and more shame and my heart becomes hardened against the thing. The longer we put off going to whatever your Nineveh is, the harder it gets, right? And I don't know exactly what your Nineveh is, right? You might have to name that for yourself. What is that thing that you don't want to do, that topic you don't want to talk about, that person you don't want to deal with, right? What is it? Chances are you can maybe name one, at least one thing. And the longer you put that off, the scarier it gets and the harder to get there it becomes. We talk a lot about this in Celebrate Recovery. It's a recovery group that we host here on Monday nights. Anybody who goes to that group is like, I've heard Luke say all of these things before, because we talk about this all the time. Um, And that is that, like, you have to face the thing that you least want to do. Like, if you feel stuck, like, if you feel like you've been going in circles for a while, chances are Right? Like I won't say this is an absolute, but it's pretty close to an absolute. Chances are there is something you don't want to deal with. There is some sort of cave that you don't want to go through. It's too scary. Maybe that's something in your past that you don't want to talk about. Maybe that's a, an addiction that you don't want to admit or deal with. Maybe that's a broken relationship you don't want to repair. Maybe that's a step of obedience that you don't want to take because it requires you to surrender and lose and submit self-control, right? There's probably something that you don't want to do and you feel stuck because you're trying to go around the thing. You're trying to go around Nineveh and what you're finding is that you're actually building up a number of Ninevehs probably. If you get really stuck, you can end up with a number of places, oh, we don't go there. We don't talk about that. We don't do this thing. I don't get close to that topic. And all of a sudden, you're just stuck because you can't go anywhere. And the thing is, is that you need to have a moment where you have a moment like Jonah. Right? How dark does it have to get before you cry out to the Lord? Right? Jonah waits till he's at the bottom. Don't wait for a whale to swallow you before you f- cry out to the Lord. Like, cry out to him now. Trust that his strength is sufficient for you to face whatever it is that you need to face. Trust that whatever consequences come your way will be better in the end than having not faced them at all. Right? We need a little bit of strength, a little bit of courage in us as Christians, to trust that Christ will be with us in the belly of the whale. That there is not a depth that we can go to, that there is not a dark or scary place that we can walk through that God is not present with us and that he will not bring us out to the other side. I can't promise you it will work out exactly how you want it to work out. That's not a promise anyone can give you. But I can promise is that God will be with you through it and that you will be glad that you did go through it. A life where you lived your life avoiding Ninevehs, avoiding things that you were afraid to do or you didn't want to do. You get to the end of your life and you never did that thing. You never had that conversation. You were never that vulnerable. You were never that obedient. Is that a life you want to live? Or do you want to live a life where you were brave and you faced those things that God was calling you to face? that you were willing to go through the healing that God was trying to lead you through, that you were willing to live a life of sacrifice and obedience to God. Sometimes we need to hear what the sailors say to Jonah, right? And that is, what do you mean, O sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Let that be a wake-up call. Don't let us continue to sleep in the bottom of the boat and pretend that we do not have something that the Lord is calling us to. The second way that we tend to be like Jonah is that we want God to bend to our personal will. We want God to judge other people the way we want to judge other people. We want God to like the people we like and dislike the people I like. God is only on my side, right? Like we can make fun of, um, you know, Jesus. Jesus roots for the Bills, right? Like that—that—that's like what you know. We're like he roots for my team for for my for. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know some of you are like triggered right now, <laughs> um, but like. We have this idea. We want God to only be like our personal yes man, right? Of course God is going to say yes to where I want to go. Of course God is okay with the people that I like, right? Because the people I like are people like me, right? We want God to have mercy and give second chances to people who look like us. Some of us need to ask the question, like, are we, do we want this church, do we want this place, these pews, to be filled with people who are just like you and me, who are similar to us, who make us feel comfortable? Or do we want this place to be filled with anyone who Christ is doing in their, is doing something in their life, no matter how different they look, no matter how different their life has been from us? That's the kind of church I want to serve in, Right? We need to ask ourselves that question, and we need to check ourselves. Am I I willing to give grace like God is willing to give grace? Or am I willing to give grace like Jonah is willing to give grace? Some of us need to ask the question, are we concerned about plants when we ought to be concerned about God, his message, and his mission? Right? Right? Like, how many times do we get sidetracked on something that we think is super important? Like, this is the most important thing. But really, we're just sitting there on the hill, and we're just watching other people blindly not know their right hand from their left, and we're unconcerned about sharing the good news that we have inside of us. Right? That is a wake-up call for us. Let us not be Jonah's. Let us not be a people... Who see people come to know Jesus in spite of us. Let us be willing to carry the message God has given us. To be people who are willing to be vulnerable and open about our stories, about our own brokenness. Let's not pretend, right? Let's stop pretending that because we found Jesus, we've always been really good people. That like we don't have a story just like everybody else. You know what, like, is one of the most powerful things you can do for somebody is often is to open up about your own story, about your own weaknesses, and about how God has worked with you through that. Because chances are the person you're talking to thinks, God can't work with somebody like me. I'm too broken. This is too much of a mess that can't be fixed. And that's not true. That's a lie. And the easiest way to dispel that lie is for us to be honest, for us to be open about God's work in our own lives. Some of us wish God's will was different. Some of us want to change what Jesus said when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Some of us wish that Jesus said, pick up your lounge chair and follow me. Right? Like we wish the Bible said different things than it does. We wish maybe it had different ethics around sexuality. We wish it had different ethics around how we are to steward our money and about how we're not supposed to have a divided heart. We wish it had different ethics about what we are supposed to be doing with our time and who we're supposed to be worshiping, right? We wish it was just permissive of whatever lifestyle we want to live. We wish God would bless whatever thing I want to give my life and my time to. That God would just be the yes man, the cosmic vending machine to whatever I want out of life. We wish that God would bless our trip to Tarshish rather than going to Nineveh where he has called us to go. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, Jesus talks about Jonah, right? In, in no sermon is complete without talking about Jesus. In verse 38 of chapter 12 in Matthew, Jesus says, 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 Then said some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, who repented at the preaching of Jonah, now, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees in that moment, calling out the religious leaders, the people who thought they were better than everyone else. And he's saying, look, you guys are like Jonah, right? you, you guys read the book of Jonah probably and, and, and you, you've missed the message because I'm coming to bring a message to a people you maybe don't want included, right? Because Jesus was, was expanding the gospel and he was saying, look, I'm going to bring salvation not just to the Jews, not just to Israel, but to everyone, And I'm not going to bring it just to the nice Gentiles. I'm going to bring it to the ugly Gentiles, to the Gentiles who are sinning. I'm going to bring it to the outsiders, the downcast. I am going to show mercy on who I choose to show mercy, not who you would want me to have mercy on. The thing is, is we showed mercy. If God showed mercy like I showed mercy, would I be here? Right? If God's mercy was the stand, if we set God's mercy, if we set that standard, how many of us actually would receive salvation? How many of us would actually get that second chance? Or the 10th chance? 100th chance. Right? See, the thing is is that we're not God, and that's a good thing. Because the thing is, is that God's mercy, God's love, is greater and more expansive than our own. That God's will is better than our own. It might be really hard for us to understand. Like, why why does God want me to do this? Why does God care whether or not I do more than just show up on a Sunday? Why does God demand that I pick up my cross and follow him? Is that really necessary? But the thing is, is it might not make sense to us right now, but it is better. Like, like our Tarshish is not as good as his Nineveh that he's calling us to. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, right? We might be picking the easy option. But just because something's easy, actually, usually, if something's easy, it's usually of less value. It's not as worthwhile. We want to spend our lives chasing things that are easy and not worthwhile, what kind of life do we end up leaving? What kind of testimony do we end up showing? What kind of experience do we have with God? right If we just live a life of easy and convenience that demands little of faith of us, like what like that that doesn't seem to be the life that Christ called us to, right? So God, God's mercy is greater. God's plan is greater for us. And the question that we are left with after reading the book of Jonah is, will we be like Jonah? Will we be stubborn? Will we focus on plants? Will we run from the Lord in disobedience? Will we only cry out to the Lord when we're finally at the bottom of the pit? Or will we run to him first thing? Will we submit to the Lord? Will we say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to trust that this thing that I've been avoiding, that this thing I don't want to do, that I know that you want me to do, is worth doing? And that doing it, in doing it, the Lord will be with me through it from beginning to end. Those are the questions I think we are left with. If you would, please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you as people who want to not be like Jonah. People who want to submit ourselves to you. Lord, we some of us are probably fearful over what it means to go to Nineveh. Some of us are probably pretty scared because there are things that we don't want to talk about, things we don't want to deal with, things that we don't want to do, places we don't want to submit. Lord, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to us, that we would know the tangible presence of you with us, that you would speak to our hearts that you are with us. Lord, that you would build into us hearts that are growing with faith to trust you, to take whatever that next step is. Lord, we want to be people who repent, people who turn from running away and run to you. Lord, because we know that it isn't out of a place of anger or out of guilt. When we turn around and we turn towards you, we're not going to be seeing a frowning face, We're going to see a God who's been chasing us down. We're going to see you with arms open. With compassion, with love. Lord, help us to make those decisions. Help us to turn towards you. And God, I pray that you would grow our hearts to reflect yours. That we would see people as you see them. That we would love people as you love them. That you would be the standard of our mercy not our own discernment and judgment. Lord, make us a people like that. In Jesus' name we pray.